Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Bring out your greatness with Dr. Kathleen Friend. Hi. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Someone Gets Me. I have a really cool guest for us today. I know Kathleen through Sing, the Supporting Emotional Needs of Gifted group. And when we started connecting, we started realizing there were so many parallels and so many exciting things that we both love and have been involved with in our career that it was only natural that she came on Someone Gets Me. So here is Dr. Kathleen with us. Thank you for coming. Oh, I can't wait to see what we cook up together. <laughs> I know it's going to be so fun. And I would I want to start off a little bit with I want this this show to be about inner greatness, but about the greatness that isn't the obvious in people like bright and talented and gifted people like everybody knew I was smart when I was growing up and and all of those things. But I know that one of the things that's near and dear to your heart is that all the cool stuff that I kind of see as being like under the radar, you know, um, like the mycelium in the forest, the, all the neat stuff. And so how did you get interested in paying attention to greatness and gifts, gifts on the underneath part? How did that start? That, that is, that's really fun. That is the million dollar question. And that is just pivotal, Diane, because you know, when I started in on this, just to give a little bit of a runway in, you know, I, I'm a psychiatrist and I was trained the way psychiatrists are trained, you know, it's, and it's, it is what it is, but I became pretty unhappy with being in that box of seeing what was wrong. So I knew that I had to break out and I started thinking about, well, how can I just see what's going right and look at the greatness? So I kind of went on a journey with that too, like how, can I help parents or teachers or uh, anybody really? How do we how do we change so that our eyes or that we that we can notice this other little bit less maybe a little subterranean stuff? Mm -hmm. You know how do we do that? And so as I worked with that over time, what became apparent to me is, oh, we've got to get to help adults get into the voice of the heart to to see what the heart can see and not just the mind we love our minds i love my mind i love your mind diana we we connected at a gifted conference you know right. uh, you know like i could wax forever on that but but that voice in the heart has a little different perspective and it's widening and so um I like to help. So over time, I became where I tried to help people uh, get into that voice of the heart so they could actually see and notice new things about, let's say, well, their children or other people. Oh, and it's really, it's, it's kind of right there in front of us, but we got to get a lot of these filters out of the way. Well, I think that smart people, bright people, gifted people, whatever word you want to use, and in this culture are so over-reinforced for how we think. 
And so under-reinforced for how we feel and what our soul is seeing, like what our heart and our soul is seeing. It's, it's, there's, it's, like, it's like a bunch of heads walking around on sticks, like what happened to this connection? Yeah. So yeah. in your amazing life experience, because you're a musician, you're an author, you're a psychiatrist, you're a mom, you're a gifted person, like so you're a multi-potentialite in my world. <laughs> That's what I call it. Um, what is the connection between our heart and our soul? Oh, wow. Now that's an easy question to answer. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Okay. Let's take a crack at it. Okay. So ah, the soul, well, you know, the soul, look, I am not a philosopher, a metaphysicist. I, I probably can't give you the definite answer. However, I think we all have these inklings inside of us that are deep, these little this little voice that kind of like peeps up that that we just like go no 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 like what like i can't no uh, then you know the brain goes oh, blah, 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 blah. but this little voice oftentimes comes back and it's this uh place i think that's the soul talking i you know i've come to believe that that, that i mean we all come in different you call it our soul. We come with a template, so to speak, and then stuff gets put on this template. You know, our culture, our religion, our da, 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 expectations, blah, blah, blah. But we kind of come in with this like energetic template, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? And it's, it's, it is unique. We may be connected to source or God or whatever, but it, there is a unique fingerprint of our soul. And I think we hear that through the heart. Yes. So I guess that's how I would connect it, that that I don't know how to get, me, I don't know how to get to that deeper soul through my head. It's a feeling. There's like, there, are, there can be words, but there's emotion. There's feeling, there's passion. There's like, it's that thing that says, I was made for this, even if I have no idea how to do it, even if it's not practical, even if there's like uh, in a million years, I'm never going to figure out how I'm supposed to do that. But getting to that, what we're going a little off the greatness qualities, but but the clue, the clue to all this, is what are those desires deep in our hearts? And I think that's important. I mean, that a lot of people have they have that little voice, that inkling, that heart's desire kind of keeps going through. And I always keep saying, it's like, it's like an engraved invitation. It'll keep coming back until you finally listen. So you can decide how much you want to be distracted, but the voice never shuts up and it will get louder until you finally say yes. Right. And so I'm a big one on saying yes to our heart's desire that way, our vision, like what, what we're here to do. And I think it's I have a story about that too. Okay, cool. It's a, it's important for all of us to bring our hearts and our heads into unison, into a collective, like an orchestra where they can support and play and do great things together, but it's not one or the other. It's not our, our soul is different than our heart that's different than our head. They're all beautiful instruments in the same orchestra. I like to say that the heart sets the agenda or the direction, and then the mind carries it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I do have a story about how, I mean, how that played out in my own life. Uh I want to hear. Tell us. Well, you know, from a young age, I I always loved music. And I had some pretty profound experiences as a child with music. Now, looking back, I would say they were probably mystical experiences that came to me through music. And I thought to myself as a young child, you know, if people could feel what I feel when I listen to music, no problem. (laughs) We'd all get along, there'd be harmony. This was the Cold War, you know, I was like, no Cold War. You know, and so I never forgot that it was such a, it, it, it imprinted me in a way. Um, so I went on and then it came time, you know, got through high school, time for college. And I knew that like, I really wanted to be a musician, but I didn't have any particular skills. I had a little bit, I could read music. I could play piano a little bit. I sang in the chorus, but you know, I was no great shakes. And let's be honest, I wasn't like particularly gifted in music, but I had a great love and desire. I was by, by normal standards, other things were easier for me than music, but my heart, but my heart was so there. And I can remember my parents saying, well, you can't go into music. Um, my, you know, I'm back in the day, you know, my mother, God bless her. You know, she she wanted us girls to be able to be independent and support ourselves, you know, and not have to be dependent on uh, on others if we didn't want to be. So she said, well, you can't make a living as a musician. <laughs> OK, um, blah, blah, blah. So I went to college, did, you know, something else. And then long, you know, eventually I made my way to medical school, became a doctor, did three specialties because I was so in the wrong place, okay? <laughs> Internal oh. medicine, then I did nuclear medicine, and then I went to psychiatry hoping, well, maybe there, finally I can express some creativity. Well, but deep in my soul, that music thing. So one day after I had finished my residency and fellowship in psychiatry and I was working at my first job, and I can remember this day I was sitting across from a patient and I was listening, but suddenly this other voice kind of came through out of nowhere and said, if you don't do music, you will die. I was like, oh. now I understood that I wasn't in danger physically. You right. Know, I think yeah. I, I, you know, that it was a message from my soul. I went, wow. So at that point I was in Madison, Wisconsin. I, I marched over to the music school and I auditioned for the a choir. Anyway, the rest is history. Uh, I lived there for seven, eight years. I worked my way up in the choirs. You know, there's some beginner ones and you work your, and I kind of worked my way up through that over seven years and went from alto two to soprano one. I got my voice trained, you know, and got to my natural place. And then I tried to go to music school and they said, I got rejected. Like, it's like, universe, this was University of Wisconsin-Madison. They said, like, no way. Like, and one person even said, well, you're too old. And I was in my 40s at the time. Like, and I was like crushed. I, I didn't have super expectations, but it would have been nice. Anyway, fast forward, uh, we moved to a new place. Uh, I get a job and I lose, as a doctor, I lose my job after eight months. I lose it. I just, I, I'm sort of fired, you know, 
and there was I was in a kind of remote part of Massachusetts, so it wasn't an obvious next step. And I had just moved my whole family. I had a child who was only 11 years old. We weren't going to pick up and move again. <laughs> just bought a house. Anyway, long story short, six months later, I go audition to a local music school in Massachusetts, and I got in. <laughs> and so it was a blessing that, thank goodness, I got fired from that job because I would have never had the courage to do it on my own. And then I just kind of followed the breadcrumbs and there were a few synchronicities that happened. I got into that and I worked really hard for four years and I got my degree in music. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I satisfied. So here's the thing. I knew deep down, I'm not going to be a professional musician. I, I am who I am, but I love it. And my soul is not going to be satisfied until this is completed. So I completed it. Now I sing, whatever, in groups, whatever. And you know what? I'm perfectly okay. It's not highfalutin, but I satisfied that wish of my soul. And I went back to medicine, you know? And, and then after having satisfied that, I was able to go back into medicine and use the creativity that I found in expressing myself in music. I put that into my medical practice. And then the rest of oh, that's a whole story too. And now what I do now is completely out of the box psychiatry. But I, I merged that creative side that came from my heart, I guess, or soul right. into what looked like a traditional pathway. And I put them together. That's beautiful. And so I think that that's how come you got that voice that said, if you don't do music, you're going to die because your your soul what is here to bring together something that's traditional that is doesn't seem to be very creative psychiatry and something that's like the other extreme of music because people think that you know music's way out there even though I think it's a high form of intelligence and so then and then we bring it together and so musicians and this is this is what I would really love your your view on Musicians' role in our society typically is to help make sense of things. It helps us make sense of our world. It helps us make sense of what's happening. And, and there's a social contract with that, or at least there was when I was growing up a lot, where the musicians were explaining culture to the, all of us in, in that kind of creative way. And, and I, I work with a lot of musicians, almost all musicians and um, creative artists and things. And I watch how they are like the leaders in the culture. Their creativity is kind of like the beginning of the wave, so to speak. And so how do you see your role in all of that? Because I see that you're, you're taking psychiatry to a whole different place. And to me, that's the beginning of that, of shifting that social contract that you can be a psychiatrist and you can be a creative genius and you can positively affect people and they're not mutually exclusive. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, gosh, how can I say, what can I say? That's kind of just the path I walked, um, putting them together, but that was a revelation. I mean, it didn't happen overnight and it involved a certain level of trust. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, there was a, there was a willingness at some point to jump off the cliff and trust. Yeah. Willingness. Yeah. With, without knowing where I was going to land and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I do think in the arts, there is an element of that 
like you open I'm just trying to think of my own process because now I've written books you know I open and I go like what wants to come through mm-hmm. and I do think that artists and musicians I, I this is hard to answer I hear my world inside is music like in my head <laughs> like you know I can just start singing a melody. Don't ask me to do it now. I've got a virus. I mean, but, you know, like, I, I just have music in me or something. And, like, uh, I just open my mouth and I, I just trust, like, the process. Uh, and I think that you have to be, you know how we talked at the beginning, like, how do you see that undercurrent? Did mm-hmm. you see mycelium or was that before we talked? But yeah, the, mycelium, yeah. Yeah, like, this, you know. Kind of like this web that's just underneath our conscious awareness and what's like happening in the world. And you sort of, I think, musicians or others, I think we kind of just dip into that a bit. You know, we, we mm-hmm. dip there and we, oh, and we sort of feel, I mean, I don't have words for this, but like, I think we feel on some level what's coming. There's a visionary aspect to it. Absolutely. And a courage to speak. Sometimes it's speaking the unspeakable. Now, I don't think that's true in my particular music, but like I'm thinking back to the 60s when all the, you know, music came out and it it defined a generate my generation defined us and the protest movement and all that and like and how they just stayed right on the in the current of of what needed to be said um okay so so thinking about sense (laughs) you're you're making perfect sense and so your books and your work is all about greatness and seeing the greatness that's not necessarily obvious in addition to what's obvious and for me, that's that dipping into that undercurrent is, as you call it, it to me, it, it's like kind of like just connecting to the ethers, the substance that we can't see, but we are the ones bringing it into reality. So the book writes itself through you, the songs. I get down, yeah, I get downloads. You. Right. Um, and that comes through my heart meditation that I do when I'm sitting in meditation. When I get into this place, the muse will speak. But, but you have to get out of the way. You just have to get out of the way. And you can't, I can't say when it's going to come. And then sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, that. And then, you know, you, you wait. And if it's an important idea, it comes back over and over. Like you can't go on every single one because there's too many, but the good ones come back over and over. Right. They, they just keep following you around till you say yes. So you might as well say yes. I, yeah, I, I think musicians are actually very fascinating because in my experience with many musicians, and my, my world has been more classical music, so I have a little more experience, but I don't want to offend anybody, but like musicians are a lot smarter than doctors. <laughs> I mean, they like for me, like I felt like I like, to me, they're like the smartest people on the planet because it's not, I don't necessarily include me, but like when I think of somebody playing the organ, and they've got two hands and they're doing the pedals and like that's like quite an accomplishment and like i'm thinking about bach who's one of my favorite of all time i mean any music person who loves composition and theory loves bach because like 
he, he was so foundational, but to watch that play out like on those multiple levels at the same time, like that's, that's really something I, I, I really admire that. Um, yeah. Yeah. My mom was a classical um, pianist and I okay. went to bed every night growing up to Chopin, Bach, Beethoven, Stravinsky, <laughs> the whole bit. And I love them all. And I understand the music theory because she taught it to me as I was growing up. She wouldn't yeah. teach me how to play the piano, but she would teach me the theory. Yeah, piano and theory just go together. like and, um, and, and so I have a great appreciation and an understanding. And I, and I believe that, again, intuition, that visionary part of us, as Forbes magazine even said, intuition is the highest form of intelligence. So it is an intelligence that's working in and through all of us when, as you said, we get out of the way and let our greatness show up. That the greatest disservice we do, I believe, is jamming up the system, staying in the way. I like, I like the way you put that, jamming up the system. And I, I'm thinking back just to circle back to our kids, because um, I mostly, you know, I deal, deal with kids and families and parents and teachers, but um, in that world, and we really jam. These kids get really jammed up. Yeah. With all so, these expectations and right. what's on the surface. And so when kids get jammed up or adolescents or adults and their, their giftedness is kind of like, I imagine it kind of like behind a, um, a it's kind of like what I imagine is like the old school tr trash compactors and everything's compressing in. And then when you finally release it, it just comes out and it's sometimes not pretty. So. What are the consequences <laughs> when somebody denies, runs from, consciously or unconsciously, their own inherent vision, their own gifts, their own greatness is trying to show up. So the greatness is trying to show up. And then for whatever reason, it gets shoved back down. What are the consequences that you see from, from that situation? I would say, well, there's multiple, but one of the big ones is depression. Mm -hmm. It's where, you know, one way of thinking of depression is forget about the chemicals and stuff. But just if you think about depression as life force, it's like this withdrawal of life force. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. It's like, it, it, it's just a, a withdrawal of life force. Yep. Um, and that's when that's the worst consequence. And then people don't want to be here and suicidal thoughts like I don't have anything. You know, when people I do really believe that people want to contribute and have meaningful lives. Yes. I think we all I think it's born into us. Yep, I agree. And when that piece gets disconnected, you can't figure out, well, like, what's the I mean, what's the point? Right. So it brings us back to meaning and purpose and meaning and purpose, I think, come out of also identifying who am I and like, what are my super strengths or what, what am I made of? Not what somebody else, you know, kids learn because we, we tell them what they are. I mean, they kind of, they internalize that, right? They mm -hmm. internalize what the parents say, the teachers, and it becomes right. part of their identity, right? So we can help, we can help the children it, by seeing beneath the radar a little bit into their soul qualities and mirroring that back to them so they start to have language for it and they can see it in their um, 
like behaviors and what they actually show up doing and we say oh you know that really shows what your adult uh how 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 you can take so many perspectives or or how you have such a kindness and consideration or you know whatever the quality is and um connect them to these inherent things in them that, that you're not making up you can't make any of this you don't want you don't want to put stuff in like oh you think it's a good idea oh yeah yeah kind it has to be real I mean, we do want to teach our children some basic ethics and morals and stuff, right? But I mean, what I'm talking about goes beyond that. It really goes beyond like what we think the kids should exhibit. It's like, what is showing up? Mm -hmm. And when kids have that inner wealth and are connected to what they're really made of, it gets easier to think about how they can contribute and be a part of this thing we call life. And when you're connected to that, nobody has to tell you to get up, like the reason to get out of bed in the morning. So that's the worst I see. People just withdraw into depression. Yeah, my, I see that Give too. Up. Do you think that um, a lot of the, the, the kind of, this is, this is a big sweeping question, but I was, when you said depression, I started thinking about people who, who complain about having a lot of anxiety. And sometimes I think what they're calling anxiety is more of like an existential angst or existential fear because they're disconnected from their heart's desire and their soul that it, it is anxiety, but it's a different type. It, it feels like it has a different quality to it. Do you see any of that? Hmm. Well, in a very basic way, we talk, you know, we talk about anxiety as being something like when we're, our consciousness is moving to the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the timeline and depression's kind of looking back, but, but the anxiety, um, I think, um, oh, I'm sorry, I lost it. You said something that, but the existential, I mean, certainly this existential anxiety goes back to meaning and purpose, right. um, but sort of the garden variety anxiety is this feeling that, um, I mean, there is a lost feeling in there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Like, it seems you, like, like, I think, I like, I think when we kind of know what we're here to do and we have a clarity of our own vision or whatever, we can still have anxious moments. I mean, that's to be expected. You know, we all have like, geez, you know, yeah. like I have to give a presentation. I, I mean, there's healthy anxiety, right? Right. Right. right? Yeah. But, but the, the crippling kind, it just, people just spin. They just spin and they become so disempowered and lose their sense that they can have some control. And that's one of the reasons I love heart rhythm meditation that I teach because that type of meditation really strengthens that part of the nervous system um, to counteract anxiety. You know, we call it vagal tone. You know, the vagus nerve and vagus. I do a lot of work with vagus nerve. Thanks with my yeah. Team. So that it, it's a method that really works strongly with establishing that strong um, vagal tone, which allows us to, um, you know, get into a different part of our nervous system for so, even for social connection. Right. That's wonderful. So and so you're gonna um, be on my meditation podcast with that meditation. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be really fun. Um, but coming back to this podcast, what I'd like to know 
um, from you is if people are listening to us that are also adults and, and who may not have kids or they can identify with what you're saying and what we're talking about and they're going, you know, I really need to start like um, finding my vision, figuring, you know, listening to that voice, that inkling. I need, I need to do something, but I don't really know where to start. Now, they, my quick answer is, well, call me or call you and we'll help you with that. But can you give a couple tips of just like a basic, where does somebody start if they're starting to wake up, they're starting to listen to their soul and they're looking around and they're not really sure what to do? What are a couple okay. like really simple, quick things they could do? Yes. The first step is not to reach out to me and you. <laughs> It's right. to go in a quiet place, in a where you, where it's quiet. Sit in a chair. You don't have to do any fancy pose. Just sit there quietly. Just put your hand on your heart. Tell yourself, whatever comes, I'm just gonna let it come. I am not going to judge it. Just tell yourself, this is like special time where. I get to feel, experience, whatever, without the inner critic, without, and I can even forget about it afterwards in five minutes. No pressure, just open. It's kind of like the old brainstorming technique, you know, where you're like, write down every possible idea and don't reject anything. Well, this is a little like that. And the simple is, put your hand in your heart, close your eyes if that's comfortable. Some people get more anxious when they close their eyes, but for, for many of us, closing eyes helps us just focus inward and don't try (laughs) don't try to think of your vision don't think about it just take a few little breaths in and out of your heart maybe just bring your awareness to the middle of your chest with your heart and breath and you can you can if you want to ask a question you could say hi heart you know this is simple Is there anything you want to say to me today? And listen, and maybe it won't say a thing. Maybe it will. Maybe you just ask the question, give yourself a couple minutes, go about your day, and then suddenly, five hours later, you're making a cup of coffee, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, then it comes through. So don't discount that. It doesn't necessarily happen right in the moment. It it hardly ever does. In fact, it's funny because when I used to drive to my office all the time, there was a certain block driving down the road that every time I would have these insights and awarenesses and downloads, like I could almost know that when I went into this certain traffic light, it was like I went through a little spot and I'm like, wow, that's like really cool. I love it. So you have to give yourself, I guess the simple answer Give yourself permission. Permission's the word, right? Permission to sit off by yourself and to not know what's going to happen. Be okay with that. Let things show up and just start with this intention. Just an intention to let my heart speak. That's it. An intention. Then the rest, whatever happens, happens. But that's the quick, that's the very first. That's the quick way, right. And so for all of you who are going, but, 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 and trying not to hear anything that Kathleen is saying, because you don't want to sit quietly and you're afraid to sit quietly and you're not really sure what's going to happen. And you have every kind of excuse on the planet going through your head. Cause I can hear you. Okay. For all of you do it anyway. 
just do it. Reframe it. See and you what, you're gonna do, what you're going to do is you're going to understand that when you make friends with yourself and you give yourself permission, cool things happen and just be open to the coolness. Anyway, I just want you to know that I, I hear you, all of you who are doing that butt, butt, butt in your head. Mm. And um, maybe, just give yourself maybe a little space. Just you, give yourself a little space. You do a little bit, you'll see how great it really is. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So was there anything that I didn't bring up today that you wanted to talk about? Because I know we're getting near our time that we decided we were going to do. We could talk forever, of course. Well, I guess the only thing is that I'm just a really big advocate of people following their dreams. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I think we so get caught up in the how are we going to do it? Even if we're lucky enough to hear our voice, we get really caught up. Well, that's not practical, but blah, blah, blah. And I really encourage you, if, you, if you're lucky enough to hear and give yourself permission to hear, just focus on the what. The how takes care of itself over time, sometimes quickly, sometimes it takes years. You know, the, you know this universe has a way of working with us that may not be on our timeline, but hold it. Hold it like it's a precious gift. This is part of the reframe. You know, hold it like a precious gift that you've been given because it is. Right. It's totally a gift. And you don't have to tell. And Oh, here's another little tip. You don't have to tell anybody else what it is because sometimes if you start talking about it, they'll tell you all the practical. Like, you can't do that. You Protect it. Protect it. It's like a jewel that you're discovering. I am so glad you... I'm so glad you brought that up to protect it and, and not, you don't have to tell everybody everything. I had to learn that the hard way when for the first time people told me not to tell people, I'm like, what? And then I realized the value in holding it sacred. Yeah. Eventually there may be a time that, and there probably will be a time for it to go up, but don't, you don't have to rush it. Not required. It's enough to hold it for yourself. The house will take care of itself over time. Just focus on the what, and I go. Ha, that's oh, cool. okay. I love it. Okay, so the final question for you today is is my favorite question to ask, and that is this: If we're going to put a billboard up that the whole world was going to see with your quote on it, what would the quote be on this billboard? Try to see the divinity in each person you meet. I love that. I love that. Try to see the divinity in each person you meet, including you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if we could just, I don't know, I don't have a succinct, uh, but it really does have to do with this seeing these divine qualities that each of us has and honoring that, and and the ones in ourselves, and and that we're actually, and we're connected, and we're connected by our hearts. Oh, that's beautiful too. There we go. Yeah, we're connected by our hearts. See the divinity in everybody. We're connected by our hearts. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for being on the show with me today and sharing all your your great excitement. I have goosebumps running all over me from how much fun this has been spending time with you. So thank you so much. You're welcome. So remember, everybody, put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You are here on purpose with a mighty purpose. So until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. 
Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.